All right. Now, Tyler, there's nothing up there. Yay, boy, we're together tonight, aren't we? All right. There it is. Now, last time we ended talking about marriage and Paul's instructions to the wife. Now, you wives, you're already uptight about what I'm going to say, but believe me, the husbands are about to get it. Okay? So, um, here's what he said to the wives. Now, we're in Ephesians 5. We're finishing chapter 5. Next time, we'll do chapter 6, go into uh, the warfare chapter, and it's going to be good. Now, that'll be next year. Wow. Right. All right. Now, he said, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Now, this is the Bible. This isn't something I made up. This is the Bible. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Now, all you husbands can say amen right about there. That's about as far as you're going to get tonight. Okay? Now, let's move on. Uh, Let me explain Bible submission to you, because submission really gets a bad name in our culture. If I read those verses on any of the network television, uh, television networks, if I read that verse, they would throw me off, especially if I said that I believed it. I wouldn't last. So I'm going to tell you why they would do that, because they don't understand the Bible. They've never read the Bible. They don't understand the meaning of the words, and they don't understand the context. So Let me look at it. What is Bible submission? Submission in a marriage is the divine calling of a wife to honor and affirm her husband's leadership and help carry it through according to her gifts. It's that simple. Now, of course, I want you to notice these passages assume the husband stepping up to spiritually lead. Those passages assume the husband is leading. So guys, I want you to hear me on this. If you're here tonight, you're married, or you're watching by video, and and you're married, the minute you said, I do, and every marriage I perform, I say this to the man, the minute you say, I do, you have accepted a calling. You You walk out with a brand new calling on your life, and that is to be the spiritual leader of the home. The only reason women step up to lead is because the man generally is not leading. So she feels like she's got to pull in the slack. Okay? So these passages assume that the husband is taking the lead. Now, I believe that deep down, every Christian woman wants a husband who will spiritually lead the home in the way of Christ. I believe that. I believe that's a desire in in particularly Christian women. Now, this brings security It brings peace and it brings happiness when a woman knows that her husband is seeking God. That makes a huge difference. See, you don't have to have a whole lot of money. You don't have to have a whole lot of things. There is something very secure about knowing that the man of that house is seeking God. And I'm I'm really amazed in our day... uh, having pastored many, many years now, and I look around, I study the culture, and I study churches, and it's amazing to me how many men in our day so easily renege on their call to lead. 
I, I, you know, I, I don't know what has done it. I think feminism has played a part. I think feminism has sort of said to men, step back and leave us alone. I am woman, hear me roar. But let me tell you the truth, deep down, I think every woman wants a man that is seeking God. Okay? Now, having said that, let me close with a caution to wives. You cannot demand that your husband take leadership for several reasons. You can't say to him, take leadership. I'm going to be on your case until you do it. You can't do that. Let me show you why. Demanding is contradictory to the very thing for which you long. It's out of character. If you become the demander, he's not the leader. Now, women demand. I'm going to be on this uh, more just a little bit, but women demand because they become afraid. I'm looking at my man, and my man's not leading. And that makes me insecure. That makes me uptight. I'm not, I can't rest in this. So the woman feels like I've got to do something. So I'm going to demand that he lead. I'm going to be on his case until he does it. And you really defeat your purpose when you do that. And this is what Sarah, who Peter tells us is an example for Christian women, Sarah trusted God with her man and left his change and his chastening and his correction up to God. Now, I'll show you that in just a minute. But here's another reason. If you demand that your husband leads, it'll be counterproductive because if he had any impulse to try harder, your demanding will take the heart right out of it because it won't feel like uh, he's leading anymore. It'll feel like acquiescence. In other words, I'm leading just because you're making me do it. I'm leading because you're forcing me. I'm leading because you're on my case about it. Therefore, I'm really not leading. I'm acquiescing to pressure. Now, let me give you another reason. Any change in the man or the woman in a marriage, folks, has got to come from inside by the working of the Word and the Holy Spirit on that person. Otherwise, there's no change. I learned a long time ago, I can't change Kathy. She can't change me. And you know what? I can't change you. One of my big revelations as a pastor, when I first started pastoring, was I thought that I could preach change into the people. I thought that I could make them change if I spit and spewed and shouted and really let them have it on a Sunday morning. And you know what I realized? The harder I tried, the less they changed. But you know what? I found that when I just minister the Word and then leave it alone and walk away and leave it up to God, then the Word and the Spirit changes people. So it's not, I can't change you. You can't change me. And, and how many of you have realized after more than six months of marriage, you can't change your spouse? The rest of you, you need a wake-up call. Because if you think you can change them, then you're going to have constant conflict. It's not going to happen. The greatest change agent in the world is the Lord Jesus Christ, who changes us via His Word and via the Holy Spirit. Okay? So, you can't demand, ladies, that He change. You can't do it any more than He can change you. So, as John MacArthur writes, instead of demanding... Here's what the woman should do. Pray earnestly for him that God would awaken his true manhood. Okay, that's the first one. Second, asking for a time when the two of you alone 
When you're not angry and you're not tired, can talk about your heart's desires. When you express your longings without pointing a finger, without demanding, do it without any ultimatums, and with a sense of hope grounded in God, not man. Can we just sit down and let me tell you what's on my heart and you tell me what's on yours. Here's what I wish could change And you tell me what you would like to change, but then let's both pray and ask God to help us change. But no ultimatums. No, if you don't, I'm out of here. Or if you don't, I'm not cooking anymore. If you don't, I'm burning the eggs, whatever you say. You can't do that because now you've got force and coercion and not the change of the Holy Spirit. And then last, express appreciation and honor for any ways that he is leading. Praise and compliment him for every step in the right direction. You know what a man is a sucker for every single time, ladies? Praise. You'd be amazed what you can get him to do if you just tell him how great he is. Okay? So any little step in the right direction where you see God changing, compliment that. Don't say, well, we're almost there, but you're not there yet. Don't do that. But every little step, compliment him. Say, okay, praise God. Can I just tell you how how much that meant to me when you this, this, and this, and when you displayed this, this, and this? Thank you. So, boy, that just blessed me. Do it that way. Now, you might say, and I'm going to read your minds here a little bit. What if he leads in a direction that's unwise? What if he actually does something stupid? Now, I know no man does anything stupid, but let me just go ahead and go there anyway. What if he does something stupid? I believe the Bible says, are you ready? Go along with a submissive heart. Now, I feel the bristles right there. Ladies, hang on. Take, take the stones out of your sling and put them back in the pouch. Hang on. Listen to this. I believe the Bible would say, go along with a submissive heart. Now, where do you get that, Pastor Jeff? I'm going to show you. Before you blow a gasket, let me read Peter to you here. Listen to Peter talking to Christian women. And he was married. Paul wasn't. Peter was. 1 Peter 3, 1 to 6. In the same way, wives, be subject to your own husbands. So here's an echo of what we just read in Ephesians. Be subject to your own husbands. Then... Even if some are disobedient to the word, let me translate that. Even if some aren't doing right, even if some are operating in the flesh, they will be won over without a word, without a word, without a word by the way you live when they see, watch this, your pure and reverent conduct. Not just reverent towards them, but reverent towards God. Now look what he says, verse 3, let your beauty not be external, the braiding of hair, wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Can I just insert right here before I go to verse 4? That's not telling you not to dress up. There are whole denominations that took this verse and said, you don't wear any makeup, you don't wear pants, you don't dress up. You don't do anything with your hair. It's all the inside. And I want, I want to rebuke that in the name of Jesus. I want to tell you that's not true. That is not so. 
That is not what, what he means here. He is saying, he is saying, the best adornment is inward because how many of you have realized, guys, you can have a beautiful woman who is difficult on the inside? Okay? And, and you, beauty fades away, but not inward character. He is not telling you, ladies, not to look attractive for your man. That's not what he's saying. But the inner person of the heart the lasting beauty of a gentle and tranquil spirit which is precious in God's sight. Okay? That couldn't be more clear. He's talking about character, inward character. A woman, and I talked about a man seeking God. This is a woman seeking God. This is a woman of God. And she's trusting God. Now let me go on. For in the same way, the holy women... The King James says, of old, that means pointing back in time, pointing to Old Testament. The holy women of old who hoped in God long ago adorned themselves by being subject to their husbands, watch this, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. Now, hang on, guys. Don't go asking your wife to call you Lord. That could be translated, dear husband. I would faint. I would faint if Kathy ever called. Don't even try it. Lord. That's not. As a matter of fact, I'm going to comment on this in just a minute. But look what he says, ladies. You become her children when you do what is good and have no what? No fear. No fear in doing so. Let me tell you what this verse is saying. Peter is telling us that Sarah submitted to Abraham's headship and had no fear that she was going to be the loser for it, even when he was wrong. I'm going to say that again. Peter is telling us that Sarah trusted God. She trusted his providence. She trusted his reality in their life. She trusted his, his ability to change Abraham. She trusted that God saw them and everything happening in their life. She trusted So she submitted to Abraham's headship and had no fear she was going to be the loser for doing so. She trusted God to honor her submission by dealing with Abraham directly, and that's exactly what God did. Now, let me give you one example. You remember when Abraham and Sarah went down into Egypt? Now, Sarah, the Bible says, was a major looker. That's just what the Bible says. This woman was a looker. She was beautiful, stunningly, arrestingly beautiful. That's what the Bible says. Now, Abraham starts getting uptight as they go into Egypt. He says, you know, you are so beautiful that the men of the land and maybe even the Pharaoh are going to notice you and they'll kill me to get you. So look, I'm going to make a deal with you, Sarah. Let's tell a little white lie. You tell them you're my sister. Then if they kidnap you, I'm okay. Now, ask me, to, ask me right now if you think that blessed Miss Sarah. You think that blessed Miss Sarah? Oh, so you're willing for me to be kidnapped as long as you protect yourself. So, lo and behold, the leadership of the land noticed her. Word got to the Pharaoh, and she was kidnapped and taken into the palace. And the Bible says, we don't know what Abraham was doing. He might have just been going, whew, amen, praise God. I don't know. 
But watch this. It says that that night, God visited Pharaoh and his whole household with plagues, with trouble, with sickness, so much so that it was obvious something was up spiritually, even for a pagan king. And he realized that it was the judgment of God because Abraham was a man of God and Sarah was not his sister, but was his wife. So he comes, he, he has Sarah brought back out and there she is. What is she doing? She's looking at Abraham like, uh-huh, God got a hold of you, buddy, and it's about to get worse. So Pharaoh comes up to him and says, why'd you lie to me? Why'd you lie to me? You told me she was your sister. She's not your sister. She's your wife. Don't you know that I could have defiled her and, and, and this whole, and I would have been judged by God and killed? And so you've got a pagan, godless king rebuking the future father of our faith. Amen. You know you're in trouble when the leaders of Egypt are rebuking you for not being godly enough. So I want you to notice that who stuck up for Sarah? See, when they were carrying her off, she wasn't saying, wait a minute, wait a minute, he's lying to you, he's lying to you, he's lying to you, I'm his wife. Kill him. <laughs> nope. She trusted God with her man. Are you with me? Peter's not saying also that Sarah went around calling Abraham Lord. I just wanted to show this to you. In Genesis 18, 12, we find the one place where she did call him this, and it was in talking to herself. She wasn't even talking to Abraham directly. She was talking to herself. When God said, you're going to have a child in your old age, she laughed and talked to herself. And as she was talking to herself, she said, uh, she called him Lord, but she didn't do it to his face, and that's the only time you find it. But Peter's referring to it because he was talking about the inner attitude she had, even as she was talking to herself, the attitude she had towards Abraham. She trusted God's calling on him and his position, even when he was wrong, trusting that God would work it out. So he said, you Christian women, you're a daughter of Sarah. If you can trust God with your man, even when he's missing it, even when he's wrong, and let God work it out. What God's looking to you to do is maintain the right attitude. Amen, Pastor Jeff. Hallelujah. I've been waiting for this message. Thank God. All right, ladies, it's over. Now I'm going to get to the husband. All you ladies, say amen. amen. Now let's get to the husband. Now I've often said that if the husband follows the Bible's instructions, what I'm about to show you, the wife will be more than happy to honor his headship. Now let's look at what God tells the man. Ephesians 5.25. Read this out loud with me. Men, ready men? Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain, wrinkle, or any other blemish, but holy and 
blameless. Now, if you think submission is difficult, I want you to think about what I just read. If you ladies think that submitting to an imperfect, flawed man is difficult, look at what the Bible just told the men to do, the husbands. Love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Well, how did Jesus love the church? Unlike I have ever loved any human being. How did he love the church? He gave his life. He loved her sacrificially. He put her first. He served her. He was utterly, completely, consummately, exquisitely unselfish. He, he loved agape, agapao. He loved the church. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. Now, I want you men to say with me, I can't do that. Come on, men. I can't do that. Not without God's help. The woman can't submit to an imperfect, flawed man without God's help. And the man can't love a wife like Jesus loved the church without God's help. Because we're talking about major love here. Just like Christ loved the church. Jesus laid down his life for the benefit of the church. Husbands are to do no less towards their wives. Now, a lot of us men today are selfish, self-absorbed, and immature. Okay, guys? And I'm putting myself here. Oh, mercy, when I got married, was I selfish. Try dumb and dumber. When it came to marriage, when it came to entering into a marriage with somebody. Listen, because in my personal home, I'd gone through four divorces with my parents, back and forth and back and forth. I didn't have a template like some people have been blessed to have. And I never really saw a functional working marriage. Never did. So I had to learn the hard way many, many, many times. Still not there. Don't say amen, Kathy. Still not there. But notice, just as Christ humbled himself before his disciples and washed their feet, so husbands must humble themselves before their wives and family in order to serve them unselfishly. Okay, the Bible says that at the Last Supper, let me give you an example. At the Last Supper, quote, a dispute arose among them as to which of them was considered to be greatest. Jesus replied, the kings of the Gentiles lord it over them. Now, that's the way some men interpret the command on the wife to submit to him. That the wife is to submit and sort of be his servant, and he's the boss. He is to lord it over them. But that's not at all what it means. The kings of the Gentiles lord it over them. And those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors, but you are not to be like that. You are not to be that way. Instead, the greatest among you shall be like the youngest and the one who rules like the one who serves. So Jesus said the way the world does it, the church is opposite. The way up is down. If you want to be promoted, you serve. 
And I guarantee you, God will never promote anybody until they serve. Servanthood opens the door to divine promotion. But until servanthood happens, and it's really in you, God's never going to promote you because he's not going to put you in charge if you've never learned to serve. So Jesus said it won't be that way with you. And in Mark's gospel, this passage concludes with these words, quote, for even the son of man did not come to be served, but to do what? Now, Jesus was God. Jesus was God wrapped in skin. Jesus was the creator of the universe. And the Bible says right here, even I didn't come for you to serve me. I came to serve you. That's why I'm washing your feet. And to give his life a ransom for many. Now that's the example of the husband's headship. The husband's headship is not for dominance. It's not to crack a whip. It's not to get married, to have some uh, uh, covenant servant. That's not what it's about at all. You know what marriage is about? Mutual servanthood. It means that the husband is a source, a provider, a sustainer, a source of unity, and a source of growth. And yes, a ruler, but watch this, only in the context of serving. Why is that man leading his home? To serve them, to bring them into the best that God has for that family. That man is leading to serve. He's serving by leading. He's leading to serve. And that's God's call on the man. So this whole idea of submission is utterly, completely misinterpreted by people who have never really studied this. It's really a beautiful picture. Because let me ask you a question. When you pray and God answers it, now don't take this wrong, but think with me. When you pray and you say, God, uh, I'm really asking you to give me a job. And then a couple of weeks later or a couple of days later, God opens the door and gives you that job. Did not God just then serve you? Yeah, he served you. I mean, he did something for you. He's God. He could be flinging other stars into space. But what did he do? He heard you pray in Jesus' name, and he served you. The whole kingdom of God operates on this principle. When, when God speaks to the angels, what do they do? They do exactly what he says. They serve him. When Satan rebelled against God, and said, I will be like the Most High. What was he doing? He was throwing servanthood out the door, and and he came under judgment. See, the, the husband serves the wife. The wife serves the husband. It is mutual. While the husband is the primary leader, he leads by servanthood, not a whip. Okay? Our love for our wives is to match Christ's love for his church. Our service to our wives is to match Christ's giving up himself for his church. Paul goes on and he says in verses 28 to 30, in the same way, husbands ought to love their wives, what men, as what their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Did you catch that? Now, a lot of you didn't catch that at all. I'm going to say it again. Because it took me a long time to catch this. But see, in marriage, watch this. Marriage is the only time in life when one plus one equals one. The two shall become. 
So you bring one person, a male, another person, a female, one plus one, but when they come together in holy matrimony, they become one. One plus one is one only in the context of marriage. So that if the wife hurts, guys, you hurt. Let me make this real simple. Um, I'm going to humble myself here for a second. I'm going to be transparent with you. Saturday, I went for a bike ride, and I crashed. I did. I crashed. And I did it right in front of two neighbors, two women. In all my glory, with my helmet on, all my stuff on, I took off, and somebody said something to me. I turned around to look at them, and when I turned back around, I was headed straight for a curb. I hit it. I fell so ungracefully. It was just so bad, all hooked up to the bike, and I hit solid cement, and, and um, oh, did I hurt. Now, what I did was I scraped this arm real, real bad, real good. Now, watch this. Did I ignore that arm when it was screaming, I'm hurt? Did I ignore it? Did I ignore that arm? Did I say, what arm? I don't care about my arm. Oh, let it hurt. Let it hurt. No, 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 no. I ran straight into the house. I put stuff on it. I washed it. I took care of it because it's my arm. And I care about my arm. Now, see, here's the way we do with, with marriage. God says the two are one. So if she's hurting... That's your arm. And if you don't take care of it, it's going to get infected. You're going to pay a price for it. And it doesn't make sense that you wouldn't care for it because it's a part of you. There's something wrong with you if you don't take care of a part of you that is wounded. He's saying here, he who loves his wife loves himself. For no one has ever hated his own body, verse 29, but he feeds it and takes care of it, just as Christ also does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. Now, you hear what that's saying? Jesus takes care of the church. Why? Because we are his body, his flesh, and his bones. So why does he take care of us when I say, Lord, I need a job? Because us and Jesus are one. Now catch this, we're one with him. So if you're hurting and you're, you know, you've gone through something in life and you're in pain and, and you're hurting and either you're heartbroken or, 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 or whatever, you're distressed, whatever it is, you're worried, you're uptight, something has happened. It's not like the Lord ignores you and just goes and takes care of the Billy Grahams of the world. No, as soon as you say, Jesus, come into my heart, you are grafted into the body of Christ. And so when you hurt, he's going to take care of you because you're his body. That's what he's saying here. Now he's going to, let me just move on. We care for our own bodies daily. Make sure it's well fed, healthy as possible. We quickly uh, take care of any needs or desires. In the same way, the husband is to care for his wife's needs and well-being if she's happy and fulfilled, we're happy and fulfilled. If she hurts, we hurt. Boy, it is quiet in here. 
See, see, so many men in, in our current culture, in this generation, are so selfish, self-absorbed. It's all about me, myself, and I. Our Godhead is not Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. It's me, myself, and I. And we don't have this concept anymore. It's not there. If she doesn't, if she doesn't fry the eggs right, I'm out of here. If she doesn't take care of things right, I'm out of here. And, and we leave. And it's a spirit. It's a spirit of divorce. And if we could just get this concept again that, that if she's hurting, I am hurting. Whether or not I feel it, I am. There is a connection. You can't undo it. What God has joined together, let no man rip apart. Her needs or desires, whether physical, emotional, or spiritual, should receive the husband's full attention and effort. Only in this way can you love her and provide for her just as well as you do for yourself. Now, this is because of what Jesus said, and Jesus is quoting Genesis here. So they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. He's quoting Moses there. Paul is speaking to hard-headed, selfish husbands like I have been. He's saying, <laughs> and I'm, I'm talking to myself here, you dummy, don't you realize that you and your wife are one? If you can treat her right for her, or if you can't treat her right for her sake, then treat her right for your sake. Now the Apostle Peter again writes to husbands, he says, in the same way, husbands should understand and respect their wives because women are weaker than men. <laughs> now, if I read that on ABC, CBS, NBC, CNN, MSNBC, any of those, they would pull me off as quickly as they could get to me. You know why? Because political correctness rejects that notion. Political correctness won't let us tell the truth. It's not saying that she has less value. It's not saying that she's not as competent as men. It's just saying physically, for the most part, women are not as strong as men. It's just the way that God made us. I mean, hello, big deal. They're more sensitive. They're better relators than us men. But Peter tells the truth. Women are weaker than men. Now, there is a tendency because of that for men to resent them. Remember, Peter says, both husband and wife are to share together the gift of life that lasts forever. If this is not done, you will find it hard to pray. Now, in the King James or the New King James, it says your prayers will be hindered. Now, I, I used to not like that verse at all because that meant that if, if I wasn't taking care of some things right this way, then I stopped things up this way. He says if men are callous and harsh and insensitive and not treating their wives well, then that can actually bring a hindrance to your prayer life. Amen. So is it worth it? No, no, no. You'll find it hard to pray. The Bible says that if we neglect this command, our prayers are hindered to be considerate, quit any irritating habits. When she needs to be helped, carry heavy items, just do it. If she needs some time, you take care of the family. While we're on this, Paul says to husbands in Colossians, 
Don't be harsh with your wife. You know what that word harsh means? Embittered. Don't be embittered. The word harsh means to be embittered, to be angry, to hold grudges. Realize that harsh answers, angry looks, irritated tones of voice, and impatience will not only grieve her, but also the Holy Spirit. Now, you know what gets me here? How linked our relationship with him is with our relationship with others. How linked it is. Man, it is linked. And how this way, the horizontal, can directly affect the vertical. One night, years ago, Kathy and I had a hearty disagreement before I was headed off to preach somewhere. And I was headed off to preach, and, and she wasn't coming this particular time. I, I was in East Texas. And so uh, I remember going to my car, self-righteous, thinking, I'm right, she's wrong. And Lord, I thank you that you realize I'm right, she's wrong. And I got in my car, pulled out, tore out of the driveway, got about halfway to my destination, and the Holy Spirit said to me, now I'm telling you the truth, this happened. Holy Spirit said to me, you want to be anointed tonight when you preach? And I said, sure. And he said, then you better stop and call your wife. And I said, but Lord, you know I'm right and she's wrong. Come on, guys. And the Lord said, now this is before cell phones. I had to go to a pay phone. So this is about 20 years, 25 years ago. But I remember it very distinctly. I stopped at this old convenience store. And I said, Lord, are you sure about this? You want to be anointed tonight? I sure do. Then call your wife and make it right. So I put the quarter in, called her. She picks it up. First thing out of her mouth, well, it's about time. <laughs> and there you go. So I said, I'm sorry. I, I really shouldn't have talked that way. And, I, and we got things right. And I went and preached and had a great time. But here's the deal. I couldn't do this until I had this right. And to get this right, I had to get this right. Now, guys, this is reality. Your prayers can be hindered. Now, Paul closes out his instructions to husbands and wives with an explanation as to what marriage is all about. Look at this. He says, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Now, he says, for this reason, the reason is that the marital relationship of unselfish love and sacrifice is a reflection of Christ and his church. He said, this is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. So when two people, when I marry two people, and, you know, I've done many, many weddings, but i got to tell you, it never fails. When that woman comes out from behind the closed doors and walks down the aisle in that beautiful gown, it still moves me because there is something about this mystery called marriage. It is a direct reflection of Christ and his bride and how he takes care of her, how he watches over her, how he protects her, how he leads her, 
I mean, have, do you feel like the Lord Jesus is some domineering jerk? Come on. How does he lead us? He leads us in servant love. He leads us by love. Okay? So marriage is a picture of Jesus and his church. And when we hurt, he hurts. When we hurt, he takes care of it. When we hurt, he's aware of it. When we hurt, he serves us. This is a profound mystery. The principles that underlie our marriages also underlie Christ and the church. Love, honoring one another, the celebration of unity. We must all voluntarily submit to Christ whether or not we happen to like it at the time. So chapter 5 closes out this way. Let me just summarize chapter 5 and we're done. Paul's message to married people began with a call for mutual submission. It began in verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then the form our submission takes is different because our roles are different. For the wife, this submission takes the form of respect. You know, I'm going to say this real quickly in closing that it's always struck me that in Ephesians, God says to the woman, respect your husband. He says to the woman, love... No, I'm sorry. Let me back up. Yeah, he says to the woman, respect your husband. He says to the husband, love your wife. Now, if you were to ask a man, what's more important to you, love or respect, you might be shocked to find that more men than not would say respect. But you say to the woman, what's most important to you? She's going to say love. The Holy Ghost is the greatest psychologist in the world greatest counselor in the world. And so he says to the woman, respect him. He says to the husband, love her. The Christian wife is called to respect her husband's role as head and acquiesce to it willingly. But the husband, submission means loving his wife so much that he gives up his selfishness to help her and strengthen her. Honoring each other's call of God within the marriage brings harmony and it brings peace. Let's stand together tonight, can we? Amen. How many of you needed this tonight? Raise your hands. Amen. Now let's let's pray together. Father, we just thank you in Jesus' name for being with us tonight. Thank you, Lord, for the clear teaching of your word that helps married people understand their various roles, and that brings peace to a relationship. Father, we just pray for the marriages in this church right now. That, Lord, these principles would infiltrate our minds, renew our minds, and help us, Lord, to honor you in our home. Now, let me ask us to lift our hands to the Lord, can we? Men and women. Now, if you're a woman, married, and you've been really struggling with submission. Can I encourage you tonight, unless you're being asked to do something immoral, illegal, or unbiblical, because then you should refrain and refuse. But if it's just a matter of submitting to a flawed, imperfect man, which we all are, can we just learn from Sarah and say, I'm not going to be afraid trust God with my man. And men, 
If you've had a selfish core, if you've been selfish, taking her for granted, not been sensitive to her, not reached out when she was hurting as an extension of yourself, can you say tonight, Lord, help me to do what the Bible tells me to do? Because if she's hurting, I'm hurting. And if she's happy, then I can be peaceful and happy. Lord, we ask you for this tonight. In the name of Jesus. And if you're single here tonight, believe me, I wish I'd heard teachings like this before I was married. Take what you heard and remember it well. You're going to need it someday. In Jesus' name. Thank you.